Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the World Through Electrospecs podcast. I'm Caleb. A uh, few orders of business before we get started this episode. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry it took so long for me to edit this and actually get it posted. This is not going to be a regular occurrence. However, that will also happen next week. Uh, Pete and I are going out to Boston this week, as we've been talking about over the past few weeks, months, uh, whatever, that we've been uh, recording this show. So we will be gone during the time that we normally do our recording. Uh, that being said, even though the episode next week will be coming out late, uh, we will be having some interesting guests, some some really cool guests on the show moving forward um, over the next few weeks. Starting with this episode. This episode, I joined up with my buddy Brendan. He's a really cool guy. He's met a lot of cool people. The episode turned out a lot differently than I thought it was going to turn out. Uh, I did. I didn't really know what I was what I was walking into, though. I'm really happy with how the episode turned out, though. Basically, I thought the episode was going to be a lot of him talking about people that he's met and celebrities that he's met, uh, but it actually ended up turning into a really cool conversation about music and uh, what not to do at Comic-Con. So the episode's really awesome. It's a lot longer than episodes typically are, but that's okay. Uh, I'm still happy with how it turned out. There's no post-show for this episode because it's a very long episode, Uh but to those of you who are still subscribed on pa Patreon, I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, we're going to keep the post-show episodes coming in the future. And uh, appreciate your support. I re we really, really do. Uh, another order of business. For some reason, there were all sorts of technical issues with this particular episode. Uh, first off, the it's a remote episode. You can't really expect audio to be too great in a remote episode. However, uh, there's just something with the audio compression uh, on his end. I know he was recording with GarageBand. I've never recorded with GarageBand, so I don't know what the settings could have been. I also know that he normally is recording music, not necessarily people, so uh, there might be an issue there. Uh, I'm not sure. I just know that the audio kind of cuts in and out weird in specific areas. Uh, we had a few video issues, and uh, also for whatever reason, camera one that was focused on him was very red. And I, I ran it through some some video filters, but man, was it red! It was really hard for me to to really color correct that properly. Uh, I couldn't really get anything going in my favor. Uh, camera 2 is perfectly fine. It looks pretty natural. It's not as good quality as camera 1 because it's the Panasonic. It's not the Canon. Uh, but for some reason, camera 1, that Canon, man, was that, that video was really red. So even though I ran it through some filters and I, and I tried to do some video cleanup on it, it's still, uh, even after a color correction, it's still pretty red. So that's unfortunate. But, uh... Regardless, audio issues aside and video issues aside, I am really happy with how this episode turned out. The content is good. So, I'm sorry for the video watchers if you if you if that color difference really bothers you, I recommend checking out the video the audio version. Uh, and for you audio listeners, I'm there's nothing much you can do there. I'm sorry about the audio, but definitely please bear with it because 
it was a fantastic conversation. It's a long conversation, but it's a fantastic conversation. Very, very good insight on um, Brennan's music career and uh, just all of his experience with Comic-Con back in San Diego. Awesome, awesome dude. So I'm going to stop chatting at you. I'm going to get this episode started. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the World Through Electro Specs Podcast. I'm Caleb. I'm Brendan. Oh, you caught on real quick. You catch on pretty quick, kid. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. So today I have a, not necessarily a replacement, but a guest host. Pete's not with me this week, um, and I'm recording in a totally different studio. I'm here with Brendan, my friend and fellow Legion member, and uh, used to be town mate, but then I moved, then I moved... Uh, two hours away, you know, so... Yeah, I, I didn't take offense at it. Yeah. It wasn't because of you. Yeah, it smells funny around here, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I used to live around here, though, and it, it does seem like it's... Like the roads are getting a little bit worse, and my mom uh, my mom actually used to work for the police department, and she's like, yeah, it's, it's getting... It's, so there's, the people that she knows from that job, she remembers that it's getting a little bit iffy, so... Thankfully, you're moving. I am, you don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah. But so I don't know if you've ever, uh, uh, if you've checked out the show or not. But basically, um, not no real topics. It's a very, it's a very laid back, relaxed show. It always has been. Um, we, I had this show running a while ago with uh, uh, a couple other different hosts, and I had a few different. I had a few pretty good runs. I had a run with the first host, and that was about twenty episodes long, and then I had. Another run that was about 20 episodes long as well. Um, so far, Pete's been the best co-host I've had. And even, All right, Pete. Yeah, even though we've been running for just about three episodes now, um, it still it feels like it's the most promising. There's something about... Uh, there's something about talking to Pete that we just we just can't stop talking. But every now and then, I'm going to have these instances where Pete's not available. I'm going to be recording with other people. Thankfully, you have an amazing studio in here to record in, too. Thanks. It's, thanks. It, it, it gets the job done. It's small, but it's... It gets the job done. Yeah, yeah it works. I remember the other day we were sitting at breakfast. Um, when, well, Haley and I ran into you guys at breakfast. Hadn't seen you in a while. We were sitting there eating breakfast. All of a sudden, Haley's like, is that pretty proud? And I'm like, turn around. We were sitting next to you guys the whole time we were eating. We None and, of us ever realized it. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> It was fun. You were behind me, and and like my back, of my head was facing you, so we had no idea. But we um we were talking then, and, and your wife mentioned something about you being the king of the humble brag. Yeah. And here yeah, you are again. Yeah. This this awesome studio. You're like, yeah, it gets a job done. Uh, it's a product of many other people investing in me over the years. So mm. I, I try not to take too much credit for. For having done anything other than put it all together, um, I could see where that, I I could see where that comes from. Cause like uh, Pete's studio that we normally record in, it's Pete's studio, you know. And but and a lot of his stuff is funded through being an adult with an adult job in the real world, not being a college student like I am. Right. But 
a good portion of it is also funded through the school and through his work and through the things that he has to do for his job and yeah and a lot of humble about it too a lot of my equipment that i've gotten over the years has been because i have not been too proud to beg Mm -hmm. so i've i've worked at a variety of churches over 20 25 years and uh i have always been one who would go to the facilities guy and say do you have somewhere a box of broken stuff Mm -hmm. that you're just never going to get around to fixing. Can I have some of this stuff? Mm-hmm. And I've been very blessed that usually there is either a box or in some cases an entire room full of broken music gear that, uh, yeah, have a ball. Anything you want, take it. If you can fix it, awesome. If not, recycle it. And you fix it. And a lot of times I'm able to fix it. So a lot of my studio equipment has been uh, upcycled mm-hmm. old stuff that I've fixed and or I've gone to churches and that I wasn't even at and I said hey you know I'm I'm working in a ministry we don't have much budget do you have any old gear you're not using that you might be willing to pass along to someone who could use it and I've found some very generous uh, churches and organizations willing to pass stuff along and then of of course over the years people have just given me stuff so um Mm -hmm. Most of my guitars uh, have been given to me at one point or another, and you know, just very, very blessed in that regard to have some cool stuff and, and have had people made an investment in me so that I can do what I do. And you do have a lot of guitars in here. I, I do have a lot of guitars. How many, how many guitars do you own? Total? Yeah, uh, including the ones that I'm sure are not even here. Oh, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch at home as well. I, I think I'm around 20 guitars. Man. Right now, uh, I thought I was crazy in high school for having three. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started off with with a really cruddy guitar that I bought from a bum in Balboa Park, mm-hmm. uh, and that was my acoustic guitar for like ten years, and it was held together with duct tape and and hot glue, and it was just really. It was falling apart. It, mm-hmm. was, it never had a case. It had been cracked. It had been re-glued together. It was ugly. And I had a pastor come to me very delicately that I worked for and said, um, I don't know how to say this, but your guitar is embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to be blunt. It looks really bad. If I got you another guitar, would you play it? And I was like, you're going to get me another guitar? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll play yeah. it. Yeah. You don't care what it is? Nope. Give me a guitar. I'll play it. That's fantastic. If it plugs in and I can play it, yes. Mm-hmm. And so he, he got me that black one that's back there, the, oh, the 12 really? string. Nice. And, and that had previously been the guitar that was hanging really, really high up on the wall at Guitar Center that you're not allowed to touch mm-hmm. without asking the, for help. The higher up ones. Right. And so it was a super expensive guitar. And I, Robert Smith from The Cure played that guitar. And I was like, gosh, I, I would love to just, you know, touch that guitar but mm-hmm. I, you know it was that out of was range the and then I, I walked in it was funny because i walked in that morning to church where i was leading worship and they had a habit of inviting guests to come and do the music without telling me mm-hmm. so i'd show up and there'd be like a band set up I'm like oh we have a guest today cool so bad bad communication but mm-hmm. but a really nice church so i show up and this guitar is on the stage i'm like oh i wonder who the guest is today mm. he's got a nice guitar yeah and uh, so I'm sitting there, and I'm just hanging out, and the pastor comes in. He goes, hey, aren't you supposed to be, like, warming up or sound checking, getting ready, rehearsing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm, I'm just waiting to see who your guest musician is. And he laughed. He's like, there's no guest musician. It's like, well, then whose guitar is that? He goes, yours. 
Oh, man. And I was just blown away. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, time after time, I've had other things happen like that where, um, you know, an older couple in the church, like one gave me like five guitars. The guy was a guitar collector himself. <sighs> mm-hmm. And he passed away, and his wife was close with our family. And so she gave to her kids all the, the special instruments and was left over with a lot of guitars. And mm-hmm. so she walked into my office with guitar cases and more guitar cases and more guitar cases. And she says, I think that my husband would want you to have these, so do Aww. with them as you will. And I was like, I, I kept one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that yellow one there. Ooh, that's and, a nice like uh, honey mustard yellow too. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 become one of my favorites. And then I um, I gave away the others to various people who were involved in you know, ministry, overseas mm-hmm. missions, and stuff. Uh, the same day that this this gal walked in and gave me the five guitars, someone else walked in from the children's ministry, and she goes, "I don't know if this is a weird question, but." My daughter's going on a missions trip, and she's got it in her mind. She wants to take a guitar to lead worship with and then leave it there, like give it to somebody so that they'll have a guitar to do worship and mm-hmm. wherever it is they're going. And I was like, cool, pick one of those. Yeah, I just so happen to have been given a few this yes, morning. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I was wondering what to do with these. Now I know, so pick one of those. Right. Oh, I think she'll like the red one. Great, take it. And it's just sort of that, like, so I've had a lot of stuff that I've been able to pass along over the years, mm-hmm. and some guitars have gone away and then come back to me. Um, I I had a garage sale find that's behind you on the wall, the white one. This one? Yeah, that I bought it for 100 bucks at a garage sale. It's a $1,500 guitar. Yeah. And then um, I had Wait, a... is gu- that a... It's a Fender Stratocaster. But it's not a Squire Strat, it's an actual Strat. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it's an '86. Yeah, that's nice. I had a I had a Squire Strat when I was younger, and yeah, that was my that was my first. Hey, those are there's something to be said for um, Squire, and they mm-hmm. make some nice stuff. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just like everything. Fender, they make some really nice stuff, and they make some really cheap stuff now that mm-hmm. is not really worth the the expense. But Squire, yeah, they also make some really nice stuff that's pretty inexpensive um, i got it from i got it off of a friend too so you were saying that your uh that that guitar that you had that was replaced by the pastor but it was mm-hmm. uh it was kind of duct taped and everything. Yeah. that was your first guitar that was my first acoustic guitar that was your first acoustic yeah uh did I you still have had... an electric before that first acoustic i or? did i I, so I was a violinist classically trained Ooh. i played violin and up until one day you took it off the neck and started strumming it on your lap. No, it was it, so I was playing in an orchestra, mm. and the first chair violinist, um, still friends with him, seems uh, Jeremy Young. Um, he shows up to rehearsal with an electric guitar, and plugs into an amp and starts ripping some Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And, and I I looked at the guitar and I looked at the violin and I went, this violin is not gonna get me girls. <laughs> And that was that was the that end. was the moment. That was the moment. I started begging my parents, saying, "I want to play guitar. Get me a guitar." And so this is in the days of the Sears Christmas catalog, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I picked out a guitar in the Sears Christmas catalog. I said, "That's the one. That's what I want for Christmas. I don't want any other presents. I want just that, just that. Get me that." Mm-hmm. And so they made a deal with me because they expected, you know, Sears catalog is not going to be a high quality instrument 
uh, said, all right, we'll get it for you. Mm. And if you stick with it, and if you improve, if you get good, and if you're really serious, then we'll make the investment later on into a, a, a decent instrument. Right. They need, they need to see some input before they can right, make the investment. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, the funny thing is they never did uh, have the opportunity to uh, take ownership of that because I, man, I started playing like three, four hours a day on this thing. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, and I was terrible for a long time because I didn't take lessons. So it was all self-taught. It was, it was awful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to buy a Charvel uh, Stratocaster oh. uh, pretty inexpensively someone from one of my friends who was upgrading his guitar. Um, so he was moving from the Charvel to a Kramer, which was like a $900 Kramer back in the 80s. It was like, you know, a lot of money. So anyway, um, I got the Charvel, and I bought mm-hmm. that with my own money from mowing lawns and stuff. And then I just continued to upgrade from there. So I moved from the Charvel, I bought this Kramer, um, played that all through high school. In college, I started working at a high-end boutique music store in Santa Barbara and got really spoiled by playing very nice guitars, and mm-hmm. I started to know the difference. Started to get that feel. Yeah, yeah. So I'd gotten that Van Halen guitar in high school, and then um, I went on a quest for the Red Music Man there, and it it took about seven or eight years before I found one. Um, They were very limited production. Most of them were purple Mm -hmm. or green or yellow or other colors. The reds were just super, super rare. And my wife ended up getting that for me as a wedding present. Oh, that's awesome. We found someone who had two of them. And his wife was making him get rid of one because you don't need two of the same guitar. Right. So my wife reached out to him and, uh, you know, he, he had put the, the story behind the guitar on, a, on the eBay listing mm-hmm. of, you know, my wife's making me get rid of, you know. So he was selling the nice one that had always been in the case. It had never been toured had never been you know worn or anything his and mindset was probably he's gonna get the money for that get one. more get more from it and then on top of that you if you're and if you're a person who loves guitars you're a person who loves the equipment you have to sell one of them sell the nice one because you're going to continue to use the one that's kind of beat up a little bit more and you don't want to sell the beat up one and then start tearing down the nice one right yeah right that's the mindset but my wife reached out to him said is there any way you might consider selling the beat up one because my husband won't care Mm -hmm. and i can't afford the nice one but we're getting (laughs) married he's a pastor we've got no money here's what i can afford and she made him an offer and he took it he said oh i will i will keep the nice one thank you very much that's nice that's awesome yeah it was really nice so got got that so all my guitars have a story of some sort or another um I think the and you painted that one yourself. We I were did. talking about that earlier. I, I painted the Van Halen one myself, and uh, so it's, it's uh, I would consider about a ninety percent replica of one of Eddie Van Halen's guitars. Where's the ten percent coming from? I changed some of the striping pattern um, intentionally 
to be a little bit different so that I could pick it out as this is my guitar just oh. in case it ever got stolen. I've had some instruments stolen over the years and I wanted to be able to have a tell and yeah. say here's the way I can identify that this is mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, the slanted pickup versus a straight pickup and then a few of the, the stripes that are white are... Um, not the same thickness as what it would be on Eddie's actual guitar. And usually gotcha. people aim for exact replicas. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just... You slight, change it up a little bit to keep your own. Slight variation so that I can... Yeah, that's mine. That's awesome. That's a, That's got a really cool story behind it, too. Just the, the fact that you painted it yourself, the fact that you added its own its own little character to it. That's really, really cool. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a fun guitar. And then the um, the Gibson, uh, I had had one. I'd bought, I'd saved up and bought one. Uh, we actually got it on sale at at a store. It was a crazy marked down. And my wife was with me. I was supposed to just be buying strings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I went in and they had this guitar. And she goes, oh my gosh, honey, that's, isn't that supposed to be like $1,000 more? Yeah. You should buy it. <laughs> well, okay. So I bought it. And you're like, I know you're my wife, but you should marry me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Keep her. Yep. So a few months later, um, we ran into financial trouble, and I ended up having to sell it to pay rent. And so, I mean, we got the investment back, that's for sure, because mm -hmm. we made money on it. But, um, you know, I was sad having to get rid of it. Yeah. And a few years later, like, we just happened to be sitting around talking with people about all the guitars I have. Mm -hmm. and. And she mentioned that one. She said, what about the one that you had to sell so we could pay rent? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll probably never have one of those again because they're too expensive. Mm -hmm. And someone from the church um, anonymously gave us a check so that I could wow. replace it. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, That's one, amazing. One of the elders came walking up. He's like, hey, I had to, we had to kind of like, you know, we got a specific donation a designated gift for a particular purpose it's for you and you have to use it for this purpose it's printed on the check mm -hmm. and i looked at it and, it was, and it's from anonymous right yeah I was like, okay. that's amazing yeah so been really blessed with the material musical gear mm -hmm. stuff so that's been really that's really really awesome let's uh <laughs> let's take a second to digest that let's take a break real quick yeah just take a just a quick like swap in the videos break and yep. uh we'll pick back up in a second sounds good okay What is this on, uh, what, what are we listening to here? What's going on? Well, uh, Mr. Connor, Connery? Sure, yes, yeah, that's who it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're listening to a new podcast it's that a, I just it's, don't... It's an old Sean Connery. Yeah, 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 that's okay. You're getting a little, you're getting up there a little bit in age, Mr. Connery, but that's okay. Uh, no, what we're listening to is this newfangled thing that the kids are listening to these days called podcasts. Podcast? What's it? Oh, I know it's um, some Red October thing. That's all I've heard about. <laughs> well, uh, the 
uh, podcast is like a radio show, uh, except people just kind of uh, they just kind of do it. They're not they're not on any network or anything. They're just kind of uh, they're just kind of doing it. And this is a new show that uh, just recently got booted up. Oh, that's that's amazing. Too bad they don't have agents. They need agents. You know, that, that'll help out a lot of agents. No agents. Uh, for the most part, people do this kind of stuff for free. But uh, there is a way to support them. Well, that's fantastic. You know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so if you'd like to support the World Through Electrospects podcast or uh, any of the other things that the members of the podcast are working on at the moment, uh, they actually have a Patreon page. Well, that's fantastic. I'd love to support these guys. They seem like wonderful fellas. Uh, yeah, they sound, they sound awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I sound horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You know, you have a cold, but that's all right. <laughs> If you want to support them, you can go to uh, one of the hosts of the show. His name is Caleb Ferris. You can go to his Patreon page, um, and it's just it's just patreon.com slash Caleb Ferris. And on that page, there are a few different levels of support that you can do to uh, to kind of give them a little bit of kickback for their show that they're doing. It seems they need it. It seems like they're on a little bit of a budget, you know. Yeah. A small one, you know. Pretty, pretty small one. Uh, it's a pretty... You can't hire actors, I hear. <laughs> Yeah, they have to resort to uh, bringing in their own uh, okay-ish voice actors. <laughs> um, but basically, there are different. There are a few different ways you can support their podcast on Patreon. Uh, you have uh, four different reward levels with various different rewards. You've got the uh, Legend class reward, which is only four dollars a month. Um, and with that, you get credited in the credits of all future YouTube videos and on Caleb's personal website. Uh, the second level is $7 a month. It's the Scout class supporter level. You get previous rewards plus access to the Patreon-exclusive World Through Electrospects podcast post-show, which will be at the end of the episode that we are surely playing this commercial in. The next level is the deluxe class uh, reward level, which is $10 a month. You get access to everything I previously mentioned, plus you also get featured in a special thank you video in Caleb's YouTube channel as well at the end of every month. And then there's the Voyager class supporter, supporter level. That's only $20 a month. And at that, you get everything I previously mentioned, plus you get to uh, watch the podcast being recorded in a live stream. And you also have access to a chat window where you can actually um, interact with them while they're recording the podcast. Essentially be a part of the show from that point forward, you know, as they're recording, you're you're in that episode till the end of time. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. That's what it, and, you know, uh, me being Sean Connery, uh, you know, it's, uh, it sounds perfect because all those levels are like so uh, exploratory that kind of stuff. I told you I'm well, old, you know. Yeah. Sean Canori. Sean Canori, yeah. Sean Canori. I, I must have mispronounced your name earlier. Oh, well, yeah, just a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, like I said, you can go there. Uh, it sounds like extraordinary gentlemen is what they sound like. They do sound like, like extraordinary gentlemen. Yeah, like they got to leave. Yeah. <laughs> we should let them get back to their show, though, so. Yep. Uh, again, though, it's it's uh, patreon.com slash Caleb Ferris. That's C-A-L-E-B-F-A-I-R-R-E-S. And uh, you can support the World Through Electrospects podcast there. Sean, Mr. Sean Canori. Sean Canori. Sean Canori. <laughs> so, aside from...
aside from the music, aside from the guitars, you're into a lot of other stuff too. Oh yeah, a crazy amount of stuff. So we never really did this at the at the top of the show. I feel like we should have, but we didn't. What um, I guess talk. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You you came here from California. Yeah. You're huge into. You're actually one of the staff members. You said you were on a on the board actually, of some sort like uh. San Diego Comic-Con. The okay. Big, the biggest Comic-Con, you All know? Right. Yeah, yeah, the Comic-Con. The so Comic-Con. I've been volunteering um, with Comic-Con since 1986. I've missed a year. Uh, in A year. A year. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So what's your longest run then, technically? Well, I guess, um, so, just trying to think, I think it was 89 that I missed. Yeah, I missed 89. So, so your longest run so, has been since 89. So 90 until 2017, I've been there every year volunteering. Uh, I started off just as one of the cannon fodder day volunteers. You show up, you volunteer for three hours, and they give you a pass for the rest of the day to go do your thing. Mm-hmm. And about, I would say about 2002... Uh, I started to get involved at a much deeper level. I co-founded a Star Wars club, the San Diego Star Wars Society, which was originally an official chapter of uh, FanForce okay. from the Force.net website. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the Star Wars, the official Star Wars fan club was dead at that point. Um, they were publishing a newsletter, but there were no local gatherings. There was no mm-hmm. active fan base. And so we... Uh, there were 12 of us that originally kind of banded together on the old AOL chat rooms and decided, <laughs> hey, we're locals. We should start a Star Wars club. Let's do it. So we started the San Diego Star Wars Society, and I had volunteered to open up our church to host the meetings. So at about meeting number three, when we needed to actually form a charter in order to be an official member of FanForce, um, in order to have the charter, you have to have club officers, so I got voted in as the vice chancellor. And that lasted about a year, and then the, the supreme chancellor stepped aside, and uh, I was the president of the club for a number of years. Uh, we went through uh, a, an interesting club split in was about 2008, I think it was. And so FanForce kind of went their separate ways, and the San Diego Star Wars Society became its own standalone 501c3 club at that mm-hmm. point. And I was conti- I continued to be involved with both for a number of years. Technically, I'm still part of FanForce, but not part of the leadership. Um, so just just a just a regular member, and mm-hmm. and still friends with the folks who run the actual FanForce group. Um. Got involved with the 501st early in that time, like, you know, 2002, 2003. So you were a member of the... the that was going to be one of my questions. You were a member of the San Diego Star Wars Society before getting involved in the 501st. Yes, that's how wow. I got introduced to the 501st. We had oh, some 501st okay. and Rebel Legion members uh, join and show, show us what they were doing. And mm-hmm. so we were very cross-pollinated in mm-hmm. San Diego. So there are folks who are 501st, Mando Mercs, Rebel Legion, Saber Guild, San Diego Star Wars Society. I mean, they're, they're 
totally cross-pollinated. Yeah. And we all like the same thing. I love it. Yeah, it's a melting pot. We just pot. like specializing in something. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So that was where I, I got introduced to people who were in the 501st. Mm-hmm. I actually became a member of Rebel Legion first because I figured that would be easier to make a Jedi costume. That's what I was going to ask. What costume was it? It Jedi was costume? Prequel, was it a named costume? Or? Prequel trilogy Jedi. No, I, d- I did a Corellian Jedi so I could get green. Gotcha. And uh, so still a, still a member of Rebel Legion with that costume. Do you still have your saber? Yes, you I do. You just lost that footage. Yep. <laughs> That's okay. I don't know why I did that. Uh, I may have ran out of SD card space. Again, like I said, I've been taking a lot of footage recently. Yep. Um, that's all right. Yep. We'll be okay. Session we got the issues. other stuff. Yeah. But, uh... But, yeah, anyway, so yeah, I did a, just a generic prequel trilogy Jedi. Mm-hmm. And uh, then not long after that... <laughs> Had the opportunity to get some Stormtrooper armor and jumped on that um, and joined the 501st. Did you get it from another 501st member in the area, or...? Technically speaking, I'm not sure he was actually 501st. Hmm. Uh, He's a very involved costumer. He may have been 501st. We're still friends. Um, He's super, super talented cosplayer. Mm -hmm. He and his wife do incredible cosplays. Uh, but he had made. The, is he still doing stuff? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He Do you just, remember his name? He did or? some. Yeah, Donnie Stevenson. He did some Ghost okay. in the Shell stuff. Oh really? If you look online for for Comic Con 2017, Ghost in the Shell, you're gonna find pictures of him, and it, it is. You know, he did the. Does he the, have his own bato? The eye prosthetics. Yeah. And that's awesome. Incredible. Is and, it from? Is it based off of the the new movie, or is it yeah. based off? Of, oh. Yeah. That's gotta be cool. It is incredible. He's he's got a super. Super sharp eye for detail, and any cosplay he and his wife do. I mean, they've done uh, th- like three hundred. I think mm-hmm. they've they've you name it. They've, they've done incredible stuff. Right, Harry Potter. Uh, that blow my mind every every year. They do these amazing cosplays. So he had the armor, and um, and I had the opportunity to, to get it from him, mm-hmm. and he helped me trim it and adjust it to fit. To fit my body, um, I ended up having to replace a bunch of parts just because, um, you know, we've, I've got a, a fairly long torso and I think just, anyway, bits and pieces I've broken over the years too because I've mm-hmm. been real rough with the army, uh, being in like Stormtrooper Olympics with kids and yeah. stuff, rough and tumble. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's how I got in. And then, you know, the 501st was pretty small at the time. We had just... I think we had just started to run out of triple-digit TK numbers. Uh, there were a few left, and you know they were asking if I wanted one. I'm like, no, I'd rather pick my own four-digit number. Thank you. And see, I came around. I came around to just about a thousand members later because my six eight three zero is one of the last. I don't know why. Even though it's in the six thousands, I don't mm-hmm. know why it's one of the last. But I remember very, very shortly, just a few months after I joined, was when we switched over to five digits too. And yeah. I remember being thankful that I got a four-digit. Right, because it's an even number. I'm right, OCD about that kind of stuff. Right, right. But um, so yeah, I got involved with the five hundred first, and that year, uh, two thousand two, Comic Con. Um, it was just sort of like a big Star Wars year for us. Mm-hmm. We we got to know St- Steve Sansweet was the director of fan relations for Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. and Mary Franklin was running Bantha Tracks, uh, and they were. They were super enamored with local grassroots fan groups, so they came, got to know us, 
and there was an official block of Star Wars panels at Comic-Con, mm -hmm. and they asked if we wanted to run a trivia panel, and they gave us complete leeway to do whatever we wanted to do. I said, yeah, that would be fun. And so I think the first year we did the trivia contest panel, I don't know, maybe we had 50 people in there, and I think we had three prizes. It was it was pretty low key and mm -hmm. it was fun, but we all kind of decided, hey, we want to do this and do it big next year. So we hit up all of the Lucasfilm licensees and vendors for donations. And the next year we had between the art and the collectibles, we had something like thirty thousand dollars worth of prizes we gave away. And then it exploded. I mean yeah. it just we'd have like a line, hundreds of people long trying to get into the room to be in the the panel and so that was the beginning of me running panels at comic-con mm -hmm. and that's that next year somewhere right in there my brother who is also uh involved at comic-con pretty heavily calls me up and he goes hey um do you have any interest in being on the comic-con committee I said, what are you talking <laughs> about he's like you know the committee that runs comic-con we plan right. it we'd, we'd put it together and i said uh what what what's involved mm -hmm. is that you have to come to a meeting once a month on a sunday afternoon that's it i said that's it he said yeah I'm like yeah let me know when the next meeting is so i i went you have to attend oh, now the 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 criteria now is is a great deal more involved right. to be in getting but at, at the time it was easy. at the time you yeah. show up for three meetings and somebody can nominate you to join the committee and they they vote you on. They'll then they would bring you up front and say, "Why do you want to be on the committee? What's your favorite comic book? Mm -hmm. uh, what are you reading now? Um, you know, what's your area you want to be involved with?" And all of the different departments needed people. Mm -hmm. Like we were all just always short staffed. And so if you didn't have a department, you could say, "Well, I'm fair game." And the department heads would go dibs, and you know, and, <laughs> and they'd all come up to you and try to woo you into their department. And now, what it's were like, some of the different types of departments that you could get into? Well, back at, back there weren't as many back then, um, but you know, some of the the ones that are mainstays: programming, um, deaf and disabled services, mm -hmm. line control, registration, um, con suite. Uh, I think it might have been called hospitality back in the day. I mean, there, there's okay. there's a variety logistics, mm -hmm. um, the guest relations team. There was there was a probably half the departments then that there are now. Okay, but um, and now it's a very different animal. Now, if you want to be on the committee, you have to have been involved as uh, a volunteer already, because people would show up to the committee meeting say, I've never been to Comic-Con, but I'd like to be involved. Mm -hmm. So let me volunteer and get to know you. And we would let them. And I think over the years we discovered that led to a lot of miscommunications, yeah. people who really didn't understand what Comic-Con was about. So yeah. we, we kind of closed the door on that. So now you have to have been a volunteer for at least a year uh, before you can be eligible to join the committee. You have to attend a certain amount of meetings, you have to go through an orientation class to understand what it is you're signing up for. You have to sign a pretty thick stack of non-disclosure agreements. Mm -hmm. And then you can possibly be on the committee because now we have it number limited as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are only X amount of spots. And if 
as I understand it, there's a waiting list right now to get on the committee. And uh, if you want to be on it, you have to wait your turn. And, right. And when a spot comes up, then you have to be nominated by a committee member in good standing, and you have to go in front of the whole committee and kind of do the thing that we used to do and say, hi, I am, and here's how I am involved in Comic-Con, and here's why I'm passionate about Comic-Con, and here's what I can bring to the table, here's why I'd like to be a committee member. And then they vote yay or nay. Right. Fascinating. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it's a pretty... So at what point at what point in the game did you get that opportunity? You cuz you you've been going since 87 you said? Right, right. I, you know, I sort of was loosely aware of a committee, but I was mm-hmm. not involved with it. I was just a uh, a day volunteer. So I worked with the volunteers department. I would show up, say where do you want me and they'd throw me somewhere, you know, oh, you're going to go to gaming today mm-hmm. and you're going to run a gaming room. I'm like, okay, cool. Have you ever played Magic the Gathering? Nope. Fake it. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd be up there in the room, and they'd come, you know, these folks that were playing come to me for disputes. And, mm-hmm. well, he did this, and he did this. I said, I rule in favor of him. Yeah. But my, there is no arguing. Yeah, I don't know. But in your head, you're going, I don't know what I just gave I, him. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I had no idea. There, <laughs> you know, if it was D&D, you know, I played D&D. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could do that. Um when they were doing like Pokemon, that was just starting to mm-hmm. come around, and I, was like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. And I would, you know, I'd say, "All right, you've got thirty seconds. Give me argue in favor of your point. Thirty seconds, argue in favor of your point." And uh, I'd say, at the end of this mediation, my decision is final. You will go back to your game, <laughs> and I'd just decide. And you know, usually one of them was unhappy, but mm-hmm. said, well. Somebody's going to be unhappy. Somebody's going to be unhappy either yep. way, but the decision is final. Go play your game. Yep. And uh, they've changed that around quite a bit now. Now gaming is staffed by people who really know the games mm-hmm. and they love the games and they're they're invested in helping people. And it was very understaffed back in those days. So I could yeah. I could have been on um, security before we started having to hire outside security. Stand here, make sure nobody comes through that door who isn't wearing the name tag. Okay. That's as simple as it was. Yeah. Now, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more going on. Yeah, yeah. The security checks for weapons and Mm -hmm. bomb sniffing dogs. Weapons policies for, like, uh, for a Comic Con of that scale. Because I know um, for C2E2 here, kind of the biggest one we really have in this area is the one in Chicago and they've changed their policies quite a bit on you can't carry prop weapons that look like a certain thing you can't carry things made out of a certain material that kind of stuff have things changed over the years for the the granddaddy of comic cons as they well? have they have and I I believe we're still pretty much the precedent setter in terms of the the reactions to policies. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there are conventions that have different policies based on folks did not like our policy. Mm-hmm. And so they respond to that by having a different policy. Um, but for the most part, we want to make the convention a pleasant experience for everyone who attends, mm-hmm. whether they're just an attendee, a cosplayer, 
uh, professional, an exhibitor, staff members, even our security folks. We want to make it a nice day for them, especially our professional law enforcement officers who are there. So we we take a lot of um, feedback and constructive criticism from professional law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the professional LEOs who are there have the ability to make a call on the scene and change the policy instantly if they think it needs to. But for the most part, uh, we do not allow any real weapons that have been deactivated or well, yeah. demilled. Yeah. Uh, that that's a change over recent years too because Oh, it, that was okay to it, begin with. If as long as it was deactivated, a stormtrooper mm. could have a demilled sterling and yeah. and it wasn't a big deal. Hmm. Um but we had a guy 5 years ago walking around dressed as GI Joe and he had an actual AR15 and uh and it wasn't deactivated in any way. Well, the the verbiage of the policy at the point was not specific enough to say how it needed to be de- deactivated. So he had removed his bolt carrier group and said, "Well, it's deactivated. It cannot possibly fire in this condition." And I mean, that meets the criteria of the policy as it right. was. So we had to uh, do a, a bit of a knee-jerk policy and say there cannot be any real weapons. Right. Period. Airsoft, fine. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to find conventions that have a policy that you cannot have realistic-looking weapons. Like even the airsoft yeah. stuff that looks... Uh, it, what we did with that is anything that looks realistic has to go through a security check mm-hmm. and be confirmed that, yeah, this is an airsoft. Not only is it an airsoft, it has been rendered inert. So you can't have an airsoft that'll actually shoot a projectile because, mm-hmm. oh, People I want to say about 1995 or so, there were a lot of airsoft vendors at mm-hmm. Comic-Con, and they were all in this one particular area of the floor, and they would spontaneously erupt into airsoft wars on the exhibit floor. It just, you know, full auto, mm-hmm. airsoft going everywhere, yeah. little pellets everywhere. People getting hurt when they didn't want to be a part right, of that. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, major major problems with that. And yeah. so there was, again, you know, there was the knee-jerk reaction. At that point, nobody was thinking about real weapons. But, mm. uh, all right, we can't have you shooting real projectile weapons and that had to be expanded to include nerf because what yeah would, nerf we would have foam it's we still... would have nerf wars on the mezzanine level mm-hmm. all the the different fan clubs would just show up at a particular time and let loose mm-hmm. and so that uh, they were uh they were a little bit more kid gloved with that so, hey it wasn't like a harsh policy set in place but hey would you please not do that mm-hmm. so we don't have to have a policy thank right. you um, edged weapons, of course. Uh, there are real swords and knives sold at the convention. Right. They, they have to remain boxed. They cannot be unsheathed. It seems like it's always the same type of manufacturer at those conventions, though. And it always seems like the kind of uh, novelty Wall swords. Hangers. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that you find at, like, the... the Tiger imports yes, at the mall, you know? Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, they're, they have moved in the direction a lot of these places know their crowd, mm-hmm. so they show up with replica weapons from movies. Yeah. So yep. you can buy the, the sword from Blade or Lord of the Rings. Or a or... key blade from, from uh, 
I said that out loud and then I, I just immediately blanked. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about though, from from that Disney crossover Kingdom Hearts. That's what right. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different re- sword replicas mm-hmm. that you can buy at these conventions, and the smarter vendors are bringing those in uh, and making a killing on them. Yep. But uh, I saw folks a vendor cannot at walk around a with years them. ago with Attack on Titan stuff. Yeah. And we do make accommodations for our um, our. our uh, our folks that do the uh, what's it uh, SCA battles, the Society mm, for Creative, Creative Anachronism. Yep. yep. So they go full armor, full weaponry, mm-hmm. do demonstrations, but they have a special permit. They have special insurance. They have to keep it to the demonstration for that. Yes, yeah. they they can walk from the demonstration area to their changing area and mm-hmm. that's it they can't walk around the floor with the weaponry right um lightsabers even i mean there was a time where and it kind of goes back and forth every year because you end up with the telephone game a little bit with security mm-hmm. so we'll tell security you don't need to weapons check lightsabers they're just plastic sticks you mm-hmm. know and somewhere down the line it gets to them you need to weapons check lightsabers. And you start getting people like, my daughter got hers weapons checked this year. So they actually zip-tied it to her Jedi costume, like to her tabards and to her belt. Oh. So she couldn't hold it. Yeah. And, um, you know, so the I got I got her upstairs and, you know, saw that they had done that to her. I was like, okay, let's, let's first of all, we're going to snip these off. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to go call the the president of comic-con because Mm -hmm. this is where he needs to pass the word down saying once again do not worry about lightsabers they're not real yeah yeah uh but that happens every year every time and without fail there's gotta be well it's a huge it's a huge event there's so much room for the telephone game there is there's a and we have a great uh Resource. There's one security company that oversees all the rest of them. So we've got a very smooth channel for information flow. Mm-hmm. And it's on them to make sure that the information does flow down to the lower levels quickly and effectively. Um, and they're very good at it. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, for example, I walk up to a door and I need to get in because I'm a staff person. Mm-hmm. And Joe Blow, the, you know, um, the security officer who has been trained for the day mm-hmm. and is never worked comic-con before doesn't know how it works doesn't want to let me in yeah because he's saying oh no no you have to go down to this door here where i've got the badge that gives me access at that door i then have to call up the supervisor and say hey i'm at door such and such the officer here needs some training on access and uh, there are staff members who need access right now and they're very quick. I mean, within 30 seconds, it, mm-hmm. guy comes right back into the door. Sorry about that. We're just being careful. Not a problem. And as long as they got a good attitude about it, and mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, that's fine. There's, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's so much room for a little bit of miscommunication turns into a And lot. there are people who try to take advantage of that, too. Try really? to get Try to get indoors. They're not supposed to get in. Try to they're get trying in to take areas. advantage of the fact that there might be some miscommunication. Yes. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so there, there are folks who every year... Um, um, there's a guy with a podcast and a, a video blog that I know of. Every year, he uh, crashes Comic-Con 
mm-hmm. and does it on video and then posts it afterwards. Here how I, how I got into Comic Con. Oh, he's one of those guys. When, yeah. He wants to show off how he did it. Right. You know. Yeah. And how long can I get away with being in Comic Con without a badge? And do you guys have you guys ever like purposefully designated a task force of people to try to find him? That falls into a category uh, very very close in. Um, I would say very closely connected with the team of people who have to search out all the badge counterfeiters ah. and the scammers who sell badges online that aren't actual badges. So there's there's, there's a, so much stuff to worry. There about. is a team of people that worry about that and mm-hmm. deal with that, and I I leave that squarely in their category. Um, they're aware, you know. Obviously, somebody puts it out on video. They they know his face and know his mm-hmm. name, and and he's blacklisted. But with two hundred fifty thousand people attending every yeah. day, and if, if and if you if you catch him. That's one thing, but if you're actively designating people to try to find him in a way, you're almost encouraging him. You know? Right, right. You don't want to giving him validity. Right. That's what you don't want to give too much attention to that. Yeah. And there are some folks that, you know, they creatively get into Comic Con every year. Um, some of them through cosplay. <laughs> the and, classic uh, giant trench coat. One person is on the other person's shoulders. Gag. <laughs> Stuff like, hey, yeah, here's the giant Transformers robot, and there are three people that operate it. Maybe one has a badge. Mm. Uh, although we've we've changed the rules around too, because a lot of these giant costumes don't fit on the floor, so we won't even let them in the doors. Uh, so you can go hang around outside. How high is the ceiling? It well, the ceiling is is massive, but the aisles are not that oh, gotcha. big. So we've had people that giant giant costumes they build. And either they need to make arrangements ahead of time to come in through the loading docks and go out through the loading docks. Like if they're an exhibitor, they've got access back there, and that's not a problem. If they're not an exhibitor and they've just built this giant cosplay and they've not talked to anyone about it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the policy is that, you know, large cosplays or large things that could cause a potential fire hazard. You know, the fire marshal reserves the right to say, sorry, you can't go in. Mm-hmm. You could block a doorway for humans to get out of a fire. Exactly. Yeah. So the fire marshal always has the right of refusal to mm-hmm. to make these calls. And he gets to be the bad guy. And by he, I mean the, like, I don't know, there's got to be at least 100 fire marshals on site, you know, during mm. Comic-Con. They're all over the place. That being said, it's funny referring to... Uh, them being getting to be the bad guy by telling people that they can't come in. So do, does anybody show up? Their cosplay is a fire marshal because <laughs> they're the bad guy. <laughs> uh, that would be interesting. I have had people that we've had. It's almost do... an internal joke, though. Yeah we've, yeah, we've had. I don't think I've ever seen somebody cosplay as a fire marshal. Because I know Dragon Con, you have people show up. Their costume is the carpet. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we have had people because. Um, with the sheer amount of volunteers we've had over the years mm-hmm. and the sheer amount of um, staff T-shirts that have disappeared over the years. I see where this is going. We have people that show up dressed as a staff member, and then when they're questioned about it, they, they claim, oh, I'm cosplaying. As a staff member? As a staff member. Oh, man. Uh, Who do they think? They're kidding. Well, I mean, and they'll do stuff like they're cosplaying as a programming staff member with a gray shirt and they'll they'll just walk right into the back of a program room that's closed 
because you know, say staff and they'll walk through. Mm-hmm. And if it's a a rookie security guy out there, they might get away with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hall H, they're not getting away with it. Right. Like the big the big halls, you know, Ballroom Twenty, they're not getting away with it. There are multiple levels of of security and staff members who are there to make sure that that sort of stuff doesn't happen. Right. Uh, but you you do see the stuff like that happening. Well, hopefully this is an educational experience for listeners, not necessarily an instruction manual yeah, on how yeah. to sneak into Comic-Con. Hey, you know, there's... there's Maybe what... I'll, I'll title the episode oh of the gosh. show, How to Sneak into Comic-Con. Right, 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 you know. I, there's, there's, no. Don't know, do anything, because you're going to get caught. You, you will. That's the point of this conversation. These you are the will. things you've found, but you've only, you can only tell me about these things because you've caught them, you know? Oh, we've... You know, and it's funny, because we, we keep a... Uh, we keep all these internal memos on things people are not allowed to do at Comic-Con. I've thought about turning it into like a web series, mm-hmm. you know, just things I'm not allowed to do at Comic-Con because you wouldn't think of it, but then somebody does it. Almost like one of those anti-training videos where it's just a, a music montage compilation of people failing at things. Right. Because you're not supposed to do that. Right, right, yeah. right. You know, like with the costume, the cosplay stuff, we actually have to have a policy. It's as um, no costume is no costume. Yeah. Yep. Because we have had every year of... without fail, people walk in and they might be wearing a cloak and they walk, drop the cloak and they're really not wearing anything. And mm-hmm. we had a lady that was wearing a chainmail bikini mm-hmm. and nothing. There's no... a lot of gaps between the chainmail. Yes. And, um, and you know, this is two years ago. And obviously a woman who worked out, mm-hmm. you know, maybe late 50s, early 60s, um, cosplaying as Red Sonia. And, you know, when she dropped her cloak and pulled her sword up and, you know, security was on it mm-hmm. instantly. You got the radio call. We, we got the radio call. We're in the, we're in the Comic-Con office. And, I'll check this one, too. While yeah. you're... And the radio call comes in. Uh, there are, there's a group of young ladies wearing nothing but body paint. And we mean nothing but body paint. What do you want us to do? Mm-hmm. And so one of the higher-ups of Comic-Con gets on the radio, and he says, uh, as discreetly as possible, shuffle them off of the Comic-Con floor to the security office right now and keep them there Mm -hmm. so we can come down and properly document this. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. And then he goes, anybody have cameras wants to help document this? (laughs) Help document it. Whole bunch of people were like, yeah, we'll go. So they all <laughs> went down and uh, and then said, sorry, you, we we can't let you walk around with no costumes. On. Right. And you can go walk around downtown. Good luck. Right. And uh, yeah. At this point, just trying to make it back to the hotel room. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So and, and they did. They went out there and they you know marched themselves in front of a news crew. We got thrown out of Comic Con, and of course. Oh, they tried to make it a big deal. Yeah, you know, news crew had to. You know, have yeah. neck up and yeah, it was yeah. Stay classy, San Diego. Stay classy. Uh, stay classy. So all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, we had we had a girl for years and years. She was a mainstay of Comic Con. We called her um, a duct tape girl, and she just had that was strategically it. placed duct tape here and there, and that was it. And she that direct, was her costume. That was her costume, and she led around a guy on a chain who also had duct tape in strategic. Areas, ah. and so um, that's not related to anything Comic Con related. That's just 
Not that I'm aware. I'm gonna of, do this and claim it's but, a costume. But you know, there are. I, I will say. I know this, there are some weird things. There are some weird comics out there that yeah. don't have a huge readership. They're they're outside of the mainstream, mm-hmm. and uh, I I don't really know much about those. We used to have an adult section at Comic Con years and years ago, where you had to show ID. It'd be over eighteen mm-hmm. to go into this area where they had the naughty stuff, mm-hmm. and over it grew. It got bigger. And then we'd have these people that would their booth would be in the wrong area, and they'd have all this stuff. They'd have to cover up their art, and and oh, so at some point a decision was just made. Like, do we actually want to have that stuff? Is that really representative of what we want to have? If we have to put it behind the curtain, do we want it to be involved at all anymore? Right, right. And so uh, they just have been careful about yeah not allowing most of that. There's there is some. Art that is, uh, you know, shows nudity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's some art that uh, you know is, is definitely pushing the boundaries, but it's you know how it's, people have a different line of what is tasteful and what isn't. Right. Right. So. Um, I'm just glad I'm not trying to find that balance. Between, I'm not the one that art? has to fight those battles and yeah. argue those arguments. That's not my job. It's not my job. <laughs> it's not my circus. Not my monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I only have to fight that battle in the programming room. So if like a few years ago there was a group that uh so they had a video that they wanted to show during their panel and supposedly it was approved by my boss at programming, mm-hmm. and I should have double checked. And this ended up being like slasher porn. Really, really, we we got a few seconds into it and, and immediately turned it off. Oh yeah, I I grabbed the disc out of the the drive. Said I'm confiscating this. The panel is over. So sorry, you all can leave. And were the people who were putting on the panel pretty upset? They were. They what do you, what do you mean? You can't. I'm like yes, you are clearly in violation of what you agreed to. Right. This is clearly not approved. Mm-hmm. I can no longer trust you in front of our audience here, so you're done. And there was there wow. was there was a woman who was there with me in the room that was also helping run the room, and she was in shock. That that was even shown. That yeah, and so she, you know, at, at this point, she's like, "I have a really good mind to sue you, right? For you know, psychological." barrage um so at at the the point where she started mentioning lawsuit they they up and left and yeah but um and they were they were banned from comic-con for a couple of years they actually were back this year i've not heard how their panel went but yeah it's interesting stuff i see i don't know this is i was talking to Haley on my way out here and i well, on on our way back to her house, and I'm like, this is going to be an interesting show because he has so many interesting things to talk about. I don't I don't know how to how to add to it, you know. Yeah. It's and so I told her I'm like, it's probably going to be a lot of asking a couple questions and just letting him run because yeah. he's got so much interesting thing uh, stuff to say. But well, Comic Con's we, definitely got a lot of a lot of stuff to speak to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're just a very interesting person to talk to. Your interest in music, your experience with Comic-Con, you know, everything, your experience with the San Diego Star Wars Society, you know, um, just 
super interesting stuff. That's why I really wanted to have you on the show again. Have cool. a good have a good sit down, have a good talk with you um, before you moved back across the country essentially. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know when I was going to see you again. Yeah. You know, I didn't know when I was going to have a chance to have a good chat with you again. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So. Hopefully, like we were talking earlier, hopefully we can do something this weekend. Um, I'm out of town next weekend. If you do something next weekend, have fun. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what next weekend's gonna look like between having to go pick multiple people up at the airport in Chicago and mm-hmm. driving back and the pragmatics of packing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. But I really appreciate, I really appreciate this. I appreciate Thanks. you having me here. How much of this stuff is going with you? Uh, well, the furniture is staying here. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, all the rest of it. The rest mine. of it's stuff that you that you put in here that you've been working with. Yeah, I'll I will leave the um the uh the sound abatement material on the walls mm-hmm. as well because I think they painted around it. So, <laughs> so, so be, you'll have some white squares there'll on the be wall. some awkward squares left yeah. behind. But but yeah, you know, I mean there's there's gotta be somebody coming in here after me to do at least this. a um a, yeah. a component of, of what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Right. So he'll he'll enjoy having a studio room. Right. Yeah, leave the couch here for him. Yeah. Uh, taking my chair. Yeah. Got to take the most comfortable part with you. Yeah, well, I mean, this this chair was this was the um the seat in one of my racing cars. Oh, you years turned it into and years a chair. Ago, so I turned it into an office chair. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really really cool. Yeah, and, and a little geek geek side note too. It's the same kind of chair that they used for almost every chair on any Star Trek uh, starship from really the Deep Space Nine or Voyager series. Really? Yeah, Recaro racing seats. I didn't know that. Yeah, I had no idea. I absolutely loved Voyager, but I never really got too deep into. Uh, the set making or what they used because a lot of a lot of the Star Trek sets are just big square rectangular gray with buttons. You know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big nerd for props so mm-hmm. uh, and and set dressing. So yeah, they they would just take this chair and recover it in a different color, and there is That's your awesome. starship seat. <laughs> That's really really cool. Yeah. Well, I've learned a lot here. Um, I really don't want to wrap up, but we're probably going to lose footage again if we keep going. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is going to be an extra long episode. Normally they're half an hour long. Oh, okay. we got about an hour now. So that's okay. That's okay. Um, because of that, we're not going to bother with a post show, though. We're just going to keep it the way it is. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess we should just wrap up. Yeah, you can. So where can so where can people find you online? Do you have a website? Do you have so what are your what are I, your social media handles? I am a social media whore. Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm at Brendan Prout mm-hmm. on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I've got a website, brendanprout.com, so that people okay. can find me there. I'll put links to all this in the description. Yeah, yeah. And my 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 main website has links to everywhere I'm at on the web okay. too. So. It, Although I write for Worship Leader magazine, so mm-hmm. you can find articles there. Yeah. Okay. I am out there on the web, that's for sure. <laughs> not Good hard to, know. to find. Good to know. And this is probably not the first podcast you've done before, and definitely not the most professional one you've done, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, most, I'm most not pod- dogging on the studio. I mean, like, 
Because I, I never have anything planned for these shows. Oh, I just sit down and start talking. Well, you know, most podcasts I've done have been uh, recorded at a convention of some sort. So ah. it's sit down in the hallway of the hotel room mm-hmm. uh, or in the hallway at Comic-Con or outside on the porch or just try to find a quiet area. We did a, I did a podcast with someone in the middle of the convention floor. I'm like, how on earth are you going to edit the audio so it's actually going to be right. usable? So much background noise. And I was impressed. They, they they were able to make it happen. So they must have had some really good comb filters or something. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. Absolutely. I don't know what else to say. Thank you yeah, so much my for recording with me. I, I appreciate it. I really, really do. And, and letting us use your studio, too. It's really awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm all topicked out now. All right. I'm sure I could ask a bunch more questions, but I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, let's just process this and record another episode later down the road. Stick a fork in it. We're done. Yep. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, as always, check out check out the various websites, the various links that I'll have in the description. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. All right. Adios. Adios. Adios to the audio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>